There are a few places that everyone I think should go to at some point in their lives. There's just a few places that it's like, you know what? At some point, this is on my bucket list, right? I want to go there uh, before the end of my life. I want to make sure I visit some of these places. And and uh, one of those I think everyone should visit is Washington, D.C. There's something special about going there, seeing the history there, exploring the Smithsonian, standing in the Lincoln Memorial and just feeling the, the awesomeness and the solemnity of of being there in the Lincoln Memorial. There's there's just some powerful moments to be had uh, in our nation's capital. I think everybody should go there. If you can make it happen financially, I think every believer should go to Israel uh, to walk where Jesus walked, uh, to see that biblical narrative come to life in front of you. It's life-changing, it's faith-changing. If you can make that happen at some point, you need to go to Israel. Another place I think everyone should make their way to at some point, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. I'm sure there's a lot more places that should be on that. You need to at some point go here. But another place on that list is the Grand Canyon. Um, I've been one time to the Grand Canyon. Melissa and I went there with another couple when we lived in Arizona. And when we, when we got there, when we drove up to the canyon, uh, there were thunderclouds in the area when we went, but it wasn't raining, okay? Uh, and we, as we walked up to the edge of the canyon for the first time, and we looked into the canyon, we looked across it, a flash of lightning lit up the sky and a clap of thunder echoed through the canyon. And it was like it rolled through the canyon like water. It just, it, it was unreal. And to this day, there are no words to describe it for me. It was overwhelming. I mean, the beauty and the majesty, the vastness of it, it, it took my breath away to stand there and see that. And there are just some things we experience in life that kind of defy description like that, don't they? Um, that words don't exist to adequately represent what we feel or what it means or how it affects us. And as we talk about our next miracle today, we're going to talk about a miracle that does exactly what we just described. It seems like every description I could try to come up with falls short for this miracle. There are a lot of words you can use to describe the resurrection. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The resurrection is a miracle of faith. You have to believe. Uh, there's that element of just, I, I believe that this is real. I believe that this is true. It's an a miracle of faith. The resurrection is a miracle of grace. Uh, it gives us something that we don't deserve and makes possible something that we have not earned. Uh, the resurrection is a miracle of mission. As a result of the resurrection, God sends us. It compels us. We are to go uh, as a result of the resurrection. And I think, you know, just based on that, most of the time, we don't think deeply enough about the resurrection. Most of the time, we, we just accept it at face value. You know, we celebrate it, but we don't meditate on its significance to us and for us, its value, its ability to redirect story after story after story. It's miraculous, yes, but it is so much more than that. And we can talk about faith and grace and mission and use those words to describe the resurrection. And they're all perfectly accurate words to describe the resurrection. But there is one word that stands alone when we talk about the resurrection. And it's where I want to focus all of us today as, as we go through this story. Um, and that word, one of the descriptors 
that we can apply to the resurrection of Jesus, one stands alone, and that word is power. Power. And I, I truly believe the resurrection of Jesus will stand for all time and eternity as the single greatest demonstration of God's power. The resurrection is it. That is the single greatest demonstration of God's power the world has ever and will ever known. And uh, I want to look at Mark 16, verses 5 and 6. It says, When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. And we've read this account so many times. You know, we've heard so many Easter sermons that include this text. We've seen so many plays where some dude in a white robe with a tinsel-covered halo says these words to two scared women. Uh, and we've seen this so many times that this has almost become commonplace to us. We're in danger of losing the specialness of the story of the resurrection and in doing so, losing the resurrection itself. Uh, I was driving with uh, Sean Mayfield to an event the other day. And as we were driving over a bridge across one of the many uh, lakes here in North Texas, uh, he said this, he says, I never get tired of seeing the water. And he says, growing up in Arizona, there wasn't water anywhere. There were a few like man-made lakes, small ones. But he says, these lakes are just incredible to me that they're just, they're just here. And there was a wonder about them. And I felt the same way. I kind of flipped it around. I felt the same way when I moved to Arizona about the mountains that ring the valley in, in Phoenix. No matter which direction you look, all the way around, uh, there were mountains. And it was beautiful. Um, but you know what happened after 11 years of living in Arizona? I hardly noticed the mountains anymore. They had become part of the background. They were just scenery. But every once in a while, I would see them again. They would stand out and I would be captured by the wonder all over again. And that's my goal for us today. You see, I think some of us, the resurrection has become part of the background. It's part of the Christian scenery for you. And we've lost the wonder and the majesty of it. And, and my prayer for us today is that we would rediscover the wonder of the resurrection, the greatest miracle that God ever performed. And I fear that we become so familiar with the facts of the de death and the resurrection of Jesus that we have failed to appreciate what it really means for us. So if you don't hear anything else, hear this. The resurrection was the greatest manifestation of the power of God that the world has ever known. And we'll talk about why. Uh, to help you understand that, I want to take a look at what Paul writes to the Ephesians in his letter to that church. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians. He begins with this prayer, and he's asking God to do some different things. And it gives us insight into the resurrecting power of God. So let's look at that together this morning, starting uh, Ephesians 1 with verse 15. It says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts 
will be flooded with light. And in fact, I want to just stop right now and do that for us. Can we just stop and pray for just a second? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us a spirit of insight and wisdom and understanding. That the eyes of our hearts would be opened. That our hearts would be flooded with light today. That, Lord, this morning, as a result of your word and this message and our time in your presence, that we would be changed and we would have an understanding of what exactly it is that you did in Christ and through Christ and with Christ and in us by way of Christ. And, Lord, that it would strengthen our faith and it would change our view of so many things and that we would never forget the power of the resurrection. Open our hearts, I pray. Amen. So let's continue reading the rest of this passage uh, from Ephesians. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand. And here's what he wants you to understand. There's a couple of things here that Paul wants the church in Ephesus and really the church globally to understand. So you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And you got to understand the resurrection and what God has done matters not only in this life, but for eternity. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, this is power on a scale that is almost impossible for you and I to comprehend. In fact, I would say it is impossible for you and I to comprehend. We can't wrap our heads around it. In this prayer, Paul is praying that Christians might be given an understanding, that we would be given a glimpse of the power of God that is already working in them. And here's the thing, isn't it awesome to know that you don't have to understand God's power for it to make a difference in your life. You don't have to get it. It's already working in you. It's transforming you. It's making you new. It's giving you power. It's helping you to become more like Jesus. But Paul is saying, yes, it's working in you. It's changing you. But I want you to get it as well. I want you to grasp just how special and how overwhelming that this power is is. Now, in some respects, the New Living and many other translations, they kind of use some, I'll call it unfortunate wording in verse 19. So let's take a look. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. And that word for is what I want to touch on because it can be slightly misleading. For us who believe. In other words, you have access to but the, and the Greek word that, that is translated there can be translated as for. But Paul's point is not that the power is for us. Paul's point is that the power is in us. And he wants us to understand God's great power in us. 
and that it's already working in our lives. His power is in you. And in describing God's power, Paul is, if you will, at a loss for words. To describe it adequately with human vocabulary, he just can't do it. This is an intelligent man. This is a man who knows multiple languages. He's well-versed in the literature of his day. He has a comprehensive understanding in the religion of his background. His religious training and memorization and scripture knowledge is as thorough as anyone else's. This man who was maybe one of the most brilliant thinkers uh, of his day, he struggles. It's almost as if human language itself is inadequate to describe the power of God. And then he says in Ephesians 1.19, let's go back to that verse again. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Incredible greatness. That's how the New Living Translation translates the, the Greek. But there's a lot of other translations that give it a shot as well uh, to try to uh, give us meaning for this incredible greatness of God's power. The message puts it this way, the extravagance of his work. What, what is the extravagance of its work? It's extravagant, it's, it's over the top, it's above and beyond, it's beyond anything you can possibly imagine. The uh, NIV says his incomparably great power. In other words, there's nothing to which you can compare that power. Nothing. There's just no comparison. Think of the most powerful thing you can think of, and it doesn't even compare to God's power because it's incomparable. The Amplified Bible says immeasurable power. You can't quantify it. You can't qualify it. You can't measure it. There's no metric that you can use to be able to explain how vast and how big and how high and how forceful the power of God is. It's unlimited. You'll never exhaust it. You'll never get down to the bottom of it. You'll never be able to wear it out or diminish it. It's continually unlimited and surpassing greatness. The New King James Version says his exceeding greatness. It's great. It's greatness. It has exceeded greatness. It's beyond the greatest thing that you can think of. The New American Bible says his surpassing Greatness. God's power not only surpasses our power of expression to describe it, it surpasses our power of comprehension to understand it. You can't speak about it adequately in human language. You can't comprehend it with your mind. In fact, think of it this way. You could take all the dictionaries of the world and all the languages of the world, and if you added them all together, you would not even have begun to express the first part of the greatness of our God and his power. This is what Paul is trying to say. Too often when talking about the resurrection, we say, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Yay! You know, we, we get excited and we celebrate it, but we just don't understand everything that is wrapped up in that. What happened in that event, how powerful it really is and how transformative it really is. Ephesians 1.19, Paul's back to that verse. He says, I also pray that you will understand this the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power. And, and another word that you could use to translate this here, they say the same mighty power. Another word you could use is energy. This is the same mighty energy. Okay, because the word energy implies two things. Activity and effect. Activity and effect. It's kinetic. It's moving. There's activity there. Energy produces something, though. There's an effect. Energy is movement 
that produces an effect. When you turn on a light switch and you flip that, there's energy that moves and the effect is the light bulb comes on. Got it? That's what God's power does. It's his energy moving in you. It was his energy moving in the resurrection of Christ and through Christ now moving in you. And it produces an effect. It makes a difference. There's a productivity to the energy and the power of God at work within us. And this power is not a one-time event. It's not limited in any way. It comes from this vast ocean of God's unlimited, never diminished power. And here's Paul's point. The transformation of a Christian is the result of God's unsurpassed, unlimited, immeasurable, incredible power in each one of us. It is energized and fueled by this unlimited supply of God's power. So what does that mean for us? It means that you should do everything that you can, and you should do everything that you can to position yourself to grow to become more like Jesus. We need to. But that having been said, our best and our highest effort, if we were to give everything we have towards that, no matter how much you put in, no matter how hard you work, it is only a fraction of what it is that is creating Christ in you, that is making you more like Jesus, that is growing you spiritually. We need to do the things that will help us, that will move us forward, but the very best that you can do and that I can do is nothing compared to all that God is already doing, that he wants to do and by his power will do in the life of every believer. And here's the thing, that piece of information, that God's power is what is transforming you. Yes, we need to put forth our effort, but it truly is his power that is transforming us. That piece of information should be very, very encouraging to each one of us today because we have a tendency to measure what God can produce in us based on what we think we can produce in ourselves through our own effort, through our own energy. We just kind of limit God to what we think we can accomplish. And that is going to lead you down a path of discouragement, church. That's not going to take you to a good place because it isn't that much, is it? Our effort doesn't amount to much. But when we truly understand that it is God's power at work within us, it is God transforming us, it is God rewiring us and reshaping us, that the power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in me and in you and is making us more like him. It's his power that is doing that work in us through the Holy Spirit. And his power is a massive power. To think of the power of God in that way is mind-boggling. It's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. And so Paul, when we talk about this power, Paul gives us an illustration of that power, doesn't he? What is the immeasurable, surpassing, exceeding, extravagant, over-the-top, unlimited greatness of God's power in us who believe? Watch this now. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. So this power is, is here. It's at work in you. This is the same mighty power that what? That raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when Paul is looking for the greatest example he can find 
of God's great, immeasurable, matchless, unsurpassed power, he chooses the resurrection. That's the pinnacle for Paul. That's the highest example that Paul can use to talk about, to illustrate, to demonstrate God's power is the resurrection of Jesus. He doesn't choose. Now think about this. I mean, there are a lot of things that Paul could have chosen. In the beginning, there was nothing and God spoke and light. Just the power behind light, the power of the sun that literally powers our earth. And the sun is just one star in our galaxy where there are billions of stars. And then beyond there are billions of galaxies. And Paul does not pick creation as the highest measure of God's power. He doesn't pick the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah when they were destroyed by God's power from heaven or the great flood when the fountains of the deep broke open and the rain poured from the sky and the earth of that day was destroyed. I mean, that is massive power for that to happen like the Bible describes it. He doesn't pick the plagues that God used to deliver the people of Israel from captivity in Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea that allowed them to cross on dry land. He doesn't pick any of those things. Why? Once again, because the resurrection of Jesus will stand for all time and eternity as the single greatest demonstration of God's power. And when I say that for some of you, maybe you question that. You wonder if that is really the greatest example of God's power. And the reason why we don't tend to think of it as as the pinnacle, as the top, because here's the thing, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, didn't he? He brought him back to life. Well, why wasn't that the greatest example? Because there's a whole world of difference between Jesus resuscitating Lazarus, who, guess what? Guess what the difference is between Lazarus coming back to life and Jesus coming back to life? Lazarus died again. Jesus did not. Because Jesus was different. Jesus was resurrected. And we don't tend to think of it as different because we've never realized the power of death. We've never truly understood the power of death. Maybe because we grew up going to church and we've always had this mindset, hey, I'm not going to die, I'm gonna live again. You know, when this life ends, death has no hold on me. I'll spend eternity in heaven and praise God, that's true. Hallelujah for eternal life. But maybe because of our familiarity with the principle of life after this life and the resurrection itself, we don't appreciate the power of death. And we need to understand that at the resurrection, death was undone. Death was broken. Death was undone in that moment. Let me put it to you this way. Have you ever seen footage uh, afterward, or maybe even firsthand, you've been there to see the destruction of a really big tornado after it rips through an area. I remember a few years ago when they showed on the news the devastation when after a massive tornado hit Joplin, Missouri, uh, over a mile wide swath of devastation that went seven miles through that area, straight through Joplin. And everything was splinters. I mean, everything was just destroyed. Everything was debris. It looked like a bomb went off. What kind of power did it take to yield that kind of devastation? Now think of this. What kind of power would it take to, in 10 seconds, put all of that back like it was before? Or even better, 
than it was before. To restore that. Can you imagine the kind of power it would take to do that? Can you imagine the awesome power it would take to undo the devastation of one tornado? Guys, listen, at the cross and at the tomb and through the resurrection, the damage of sin was undone. The devastation that had been wrought through all of time by sin was broken. Death was undone. Death comes to all people. No one escapes. And what's tied to that is that the power of death was held within the power of Satan. Scripture tells us that. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Because God's children, that's you and me, are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So Satan held the power of death. And this was the only way Jesus could break the power of the enemy and set us free. In Revelation, John writes about seeing Jesus. This, now, John was one of the disciples. He was, he was uh, exiled, and, and he received this vision uh, of the revelation. He wrote it down. And this was the same Jesus that he walked dusty roads with in Galilee, okay? And this was his reaction in Revelation, the first chapter, verses 17 and 18. When I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. I mean, he sees just the sheer awesomeness of his presence and his being, and he falls straight to the ground. He could not even stand. And then this is what Jesus says to John. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. These keys that Jesus holds, he took back from the enemy. He took back from the devil who had the power of death. And Jesus reclaimed that. Jesus retook that. And these keys that Jesus holds up in front of John, they open and lock hell's gates. He has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And it took great power to get that from the forces of darkness, to take that back from the enemy. Imagine a billion demons screaming, no, it would take power to stop them. Imagine Satan saying, no, those are mine. They have sinned. They belong to me. And at the resurrection, God undoes death. He breaks the chains and removes death's hand from humanity. Amazing. And at the resurrection, Jesus declares victory over death, over the grave, and over Satan and every single demon. Listen to what it, Paul writes in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. You were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He took away all authority, all power that the enemy had been given. 
It, he reclaimed it all. He undid the power of the enemy and Jesus holds all authority. He disarmed the rulers, spiritual rulers and authorities and not only disarmed them, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And when did his victory on the cross take place? It took place when he was resurrected. Because if he stays in that tomb, church, there is no gospel. There is no good news. And there is no victory. In raising Jesus from the dead, God made a public declaration that death and demons had been conquered. That's power. That is unbelievable power. And, and I know sometimes that the stories can, can sometimes just become routine after a while. But never let the resurrection become routine because it is the power of God to transform your life and my life and the life of every man and woman who has ever lived. The next thing I want you to see is that the resurrection is the perfect analogy of what has happened at our salvation. And guys, this is when it gets exciting because now it gets personal. Just as he was raised, we are raised. Not we will be raised in the end, you have already been raised. Watch this, Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. Did you hear that? You have already been raised with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. He was victorious over sin in the grave and now we have victory in him, through him, with him by God's power working in us over sin, over death and the grave. Church, stop living defeated the greatest demonstration of God's power that the world has ever known has already been at work in you. In that sense, it's an analogy of what happened to us in our salvation. Just as Jesus was raised, so are we. This is why 2 Corinthians 5.17 is possible. Look at it. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. How is that possible? Power. Not your willpower, but his power. He has undiminished, unlimited, unsurpassed, immeasurable power that he demonstrated in Christ and for Christ and to Christ and for us. You've been resurrected. Easter isn't just his resurrection, it's yours, it's mine because we were raised with Christ. When we celebrate the resurrection, we're not just celebrating the fact that Jesus rose, we're celebrating that we rose. We're celebrating his power working in us, raising us from death to life. His power moving us from darkness into light. His power breaking the grip of sin, breaking the grip of Satan, breaking the grip of death on us. His power is amazing. Finally, the resurrection is proof that every obstacle, every obstacle and enemy in our path will be defeated. Now listen, think about this. If his immeasurable power, his unsurpassed power is in us 
energizing us, powered out of the ocean of his undiminished, unlimited power, then how is it that we wouldn't be able to overcome in absolutely everything we face in life? Man, that is, that is an encouraging encouraging thought. There's a reason why they call this the gospel. There's a reason this is the good news. That is encouraging. Whatever you're facing, whatever enemy, whatever circumstance, whatever force, there is nothing and there is no one that can overcome the power of Christ, his immeasurable power, his unsurpassed power. What could get in the way of that? What greater power would there be than the power that raised Christ from the dead? Not death, not hell, not the devil, not disease, not disaster, not discouragement, not depression, not sin, nothing. The God for whom nothing is impossible is working in you. And he's working by his unlimited, undiminished energy, which is producing Christ in you. And this is the basis for what Paul says in those familiar verses in Romans chapter 8. Verses 38 and 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Because of the greatest miracle the world has ever known. Because of the immeasurable power of God. That power that was demonstrated at the cross, at the grave, and through the resurrection of Jesus. And God raised him up. And God has raised us up with him. God's great, unimaginable, exceeding, unsurpassed energy is working in you. And his power is unlimited. And it's unexhaustible. And through his power, you and I are overcomers. We are more than conquerors. We are the recipients of the greatest miracle, the greatest demonstration of God's power that the world has ever seen. Come on, let's thank him together this morning. God, we thank you. Thank you for the power that raised Christ from the dead. We thank you for the greatest miracle the world has ever known, the resurrection of Jesus. And God, what goes, what's awesome is what goes right hand in hand with that is our resurrection as well that you have brought us from death to life, that you have broken the hold that death has on our lives. You have broken the chains that of sin that we were wrapped in and you have delivered us, you have set us free and we wanna walk in that freedom. We wanna walk in that victory. And God, I pray that your power that is at work within us would continue to transform us more and more and more into the image of Jesus. That people would look at us and they would see Christ in us. Help us, God, to do all that we can, but help us also to recognize that what little we bring to the table pales in comparison to your incomparable power at work within each one of us. Change us, use us, and God, fill us with the power 
of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that is at work within us until you return and bring us home. God, we love you. We want to live for you. And Jesus, it's in your incomparable, exceedingly, abundantly, matchless name we pray. Amen.